You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Hi, you've reached the Shell residence. Today is Tuesday, September 11th. My dad said the way I saw the world was a gift, that I was different than everyone else. A great game we'd play was Reconnaissance Expedition. He told me to bring back something from every decade in the 20th century. I found something from every decade. Already? <laughs> you rock. Listen to me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be home in about 20 minutes. No, you listen to me. We broke a window to let in some air. Now I'm gonna be okay. In the building and there was stuff everywhere. They're trying to save them. Where are you? Uh, I'm on the 106th floor. An American Airlines plane was hijacked. Thomas, you listen to me and you come home. <laughs> Please just stay talking to me. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, and the story is as follows. Oscar, who lost his father in the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center, is convinced that his dad left a final message for him somewhere in the city. Upon finding a mysterious key in his father's closet, Oscar sets out in search of the lock it fits. Feeling disconnected from his grieving mother and driven by a tireless, active mind, Oscar has a journey of discovery that takes him beyond his loss and leads to a greater understanding of the world. The film is starring Tom Hanks, Sandra Bullock, Thomas Horn, Viola Davis, John Goodman, Jeffrey Wright, and Max von Sydow. It is directed by Stephen Daldry, and it is written by Eric Roth. Here to join me today for this 2011 retrospective throwback podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Isaiah Washington. Hello. And joining us as a guest here from our Patreon, he specifically requested to be here for this film, and I did not want to deny him the opportunity, Connor Olin, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much, Matt, for inviting me on. I have uh, quite a lot to say. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's uh, also try to do it extremely quiet and incredibly mellow, shall we? Um, <laughs> looking at this movie, jeez. Oh, it was a late December release in the year 2011. I remember it, quote-unquote, crashed into the Best Picture race in a way that really surprised some people. But those that were paying attention to the award season that year kind of knew something was up when it got Best Picture nominated, the Critics' Choice Awards, and the Academy screenings for it were doing relatively well. Back then, Scott Rudin, the uh, producer of the film, was a powerhouse who could really cobbled together so many talented artists together for all these different films. And the movie also, of course, had this powerhouse cast. It got not necessarily the best critical reception in the years since then. It has continued to divide audiences, some who really, really love it, others who absolutely hate it, think it's one of the worst Best Picture nominees of recent times. And I think the fact that it ultimately went on to only be nominated for two Academy Awards kind of in a way suggests that you know, in years of five, it wouldn't have been there. So was it really even worthy? And so the merits of this movie just keep going back and forth. But also, too, people got to remember at the time, 10 years following the September 11th attacks, uh, there had been some movies that had directly addressed uh, 9-11. But this was one that was being done by a major studio in Warner Brothers Pictures. And also, like I said before, just with this incredible, uh, you know, pedigree here of actors you had Stephen Daldry directing Eric Roth writing the screenplay as I said at the beginning here so it just had this prestige factor to it 
So does the prestige hold up? Is it still divisive? Do we absolutely hate this thing? Let's find out. Starting off first with our guest here, Connor set the stage for us. What do you think of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? So I want to start off by saying uh, the first time I saw this movie, I was 14. And also I was and still am autistic on the autistic spectrum. And this was something that I was definitely struggling with a lot at the time. And this movie was, I think, probably the first time I can remember seeing uh, representation of, of the spectrum in a film. And I know this is somewhat of a cliche to say, but this movie did actually make me feel seen uh, because of that reputation. And I, it was actually a surprise sometime after when I realized that a lot of people don't like this movie because I, at the time, loved it and my parents loved it. And we were cheering when it got that Best Picture nomination. And in so looking back all these years later, I do acknowledge that it is flawed. I do acknowledge that it's uh, perhaps a little bit too manipulative at, at times, but I'm sorry. I honestly think this is some of the best, at least from my limited perspective, this is some of the most accurate uh, depiction of someone on the spectrum and what that experience is like that I have ever seen. And maybe that's kind of clouding my uh, judgment on the rest of the movie, but I I think this is a good movie, and I enjoy watching it, and it, it, it's an important movie. And I, I specifically requested to be on this podcast because I wanted to play devil's advocate. I wanted to defend this movie, and I believe it needs defending. And you know what? I don't think you're wrong here. Uh, unfortunately, Dan Baer uh, could not be here for this review, but he specifically said to us before we hopped on, I need somebody, please, somebody to be on this review to defend this movie. So, Connor, you are Dan Baer's champion in this case. Let's find out if there are other champions that to be found. Isaiah Washington, what do you think of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? I was very intrigued by this film, mostly due to the fact that it is yet another story that talks about the events of September 11th. September 11th is one of those events in world history that always gets me, especially when it is depicted within film and is was one of the multiple films that kind of started that trend of talking about the war on terror. Of course, we got another one last year that we talked about, Zodark 30. And some people ask themselves, is this a film that is it coming out too soon? Is it something that are we ready yet for? Me, regardless, years later, and just seeing how this film has impacted multiple people negatively or positively, I was one of those people in which, unfortunately, it affected me negatively. I am not a fan of this film as much as some others probably were during that late 2011 going into the Oscar seasons of 2012. Now, I will say there are definitely things that I can say are positive and that I can champion on, specifically the performances. Max von Sydow is very good and at times powerful in this role, along with Sandra Bullock, who... I ironically think gives a better performance than her actual Oscar-winning role in The Blind Side. However, this main character, I don't know what was it about it. Maybe it was the fact that it's a debut performance that from a child actor, in which I feel like a lot of times we can take for granted how hard it is for a child actor to give a great performance, or maybe it's the idea that 
the script is very convoluted and at times messy and probably one of the weaker additions to what is a great screenwriter, Eric Roth. But ultimately, this is just a mediocre film at best in which it's trying to talk about a very serious and emotional subject matter that may come off a bit pretentious at times. Okay. All right. Josh Parham. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. I think I know where you fall here, but what do you think of Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Well, for me, I would first say that I do actually remember watching this movie back in 2011. Uh, And at the time when I did first see it, I remember having a very strong negative reaction to the film. Like I did not like it at all. I thought it was, as was sort of mentioned before, kind of manipulative. And I didn't really care for the storytelling all that much. And I like really, really had a big resistance towards it. And that's why I really have not watched this movie since it came out. And I revisited it for our discussion. It's the first time in, yeah, over a decade since I have seen it. And honestly, coming back to it, I I did not hate the movie quite as much as my memory was of it at the time. I do think that at the center of it, you do have a story that, yes, is sort of commenting on 9-11, but it's really more so about taking a tragedy that happens in this in this boy's life and him dealing with it, trying to understand like why it happened and how he has to tell, you know, how he has to deal with that grief in his life. And I do think that there are some aspects of that, that are very interesting and very compelling. I think the ultimate problem with this movie though, is the ultimate structure that it presents to its audience. I never really found to be that engaging. It it felt to me like it becomes very, fractured at a certain point and it's hard for me to really connect myself to the emotional journey that all of these characters are going through and i just found it to be actually kind of frustrating to then really build that emotional bond that i really wanted out of it and i think that had that it had the potential to get from me so 
I at the end of the day, I do think now I'm a little bit more positive on it. I do appreciate some of the, some aspects of it, but ultimately, I think as a piece of storytelling, it does sort of fail to present a cohesive whole at the end of the day. And yeah, especially as we start to get towards the end, and it wants to wrap up its story, I do find it to be very contrived at that point, and it kind of does lose me a great deal as, as we race towards the finale. So I don't hate it as much as I used to, but I still don't think it's a very successful film. Very similar thoughts to Josh here. I did not care for this movie in 2011, especially in the Oscar race, which we'll get to later on. But I also just found it to be a disappointment for Stephen Daldry as a whole, because he was just on such a hot streak uh, during this point. And, you know, considering that the film had its best picture nomination, uh, you know, some might say the hot streak was still continuing for Stephen Daldry. But in the years since I, I like you, Josh, I've never watched it again until last night. And I guess the thing this time around that I had trouble with, and I'm very curious to hear Connor uh, talk about this a little bit more is I feel that the use of Oscar's autism in this movie and how he's trying to make sense of the senseless and is, you know, that's like standing in also kind of like as this way for him to deal with his grief. And I just found some of it to be, as you all mentioned before, very manipulative, too on the nose. And yet... There was something about, and maybe this is just because I'm older and I've experienced more loss in my life uh, since then, but there was something about turning to something radical and crazy, like a scavenger hunt to find a sixth borough in New York, that I did somewhat relate to. I thought that the whole MacGuffin of it all, of what this key ultimately fits into, was truly pointless, but yet I still related to Oscar wanting to latch on to something whether it's a hobby or if it's something completely crazy that he can just dedicate his mind to there's something about that human quality of how people deal with grief in the aftermath of such senseless and unspeakable tragedy and adjusting to a new reality that I did find there to be value I just didn't like that it was also framed through this autistic point of view and I say this because I do feel that it does a disservice to the autistic community to have to highlight his grief and trauma through that lens here I just don't think the two coalesce as well as the film is intending there are good intentions here but that's where it starts to lose me I, I, I don't know see the thing for me I I find this movie, well, obviously, as I said earlier, very uh, relatable, and I find the character very relatable. And I do, so Oscar's quest of trying to find this key because he believes that it is, uh, it's related to the scavenger hunt that his father used to set up, and he thinks this has to be, this is a way of keeping him alive. This is a way of keeping that memory alive. I, I can still play this one final game with my dad. And I... I think I disagree on the notion that the whole thing is ultimately pointless because, A, he does and ultimately end up bringing some joy to 
Jeffrey Wright's character and sort of right, writing a wrong and, and, so, and sort of helping him and his wife in their situation. But mm-hmm. beyond that, he brings a lot of people together. Everyone that he visits, all of the blacks, uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, people do come together because of this and people do you know i find it interesting i think a frequent criticism that i see a level of this movie is well why does it have to be 9-11 why couldn't the father have died in a car accident or something and i think the reason why 9-11 was chosen is because it was such a global event and everyone particularly in new york everyone was feeling the loss and in this story when oscar is going around and interacting with all these different people He says at one point, it feels like everybody's lost something. But Mm -hmm. the fact that everyone has that loss or some version of loss is something that does connect us. And if you only begin reaching out and trying to make these connections, then it can help us feel a little more whole again. So even if the finding the key doesn't necessarily bring Oscar the closure he needs in the way that he thought... He does bring people together. He does help people. And in the end, he's able to find his own way of closure, if that makes sense. Maybe maybe it's a good thing that I'm going to jump around a little bit here, because the reason why I think it is slightly pointless is because there is a very great scene, I think, where Thomas Horn's character, Oscar, is playing the messages that his father left for him on the voicemail machine for Max von Sydow's character. And when he gets to the final message, which we all know based on the timestamp is when the towers fell and his father was trapped inside, Max von Sydow cuts him off and does not have him play the final message. And I really, really, really do not like the choice that the film makes to play the final message towards the end, because if what you're saying is true, Connor, and the scavenger hunt, the game is a way for him to um, either put off his father's death, deal with his father's death, communicate with his father, bring some sort of closure, whatever it is, it feels like it's undercut by that final voicemail to me. And I honestly wish that he never heard it. I wish the audience never heard it. I wish it like like I wish the knowledge of it existed, but he didn't feel the need to have to hear it. The scavenger hunt could have been the fulfilling thing instead. And that's that's why I said uh, that I feel like the scavenger hunt feels rendered useless by the end. It's because of that final voicemail. Hmm. I can understand that a little bit, too. I, mm-hmm. I think this goes back to my ultimate issue with the entire storytelling of this movie, where I think at the center of it, there is an, a compelling concept. And I actually do sort of like the idea of the scavenger hunt. It, it, you know, this movie is based on a novel and it, it, that does feel like a premise that would be in a book to me. And, and, right. I, and I actually do sort of like the that exploration. I don't think it's executed all that well. I think we get large sections where they do just sort of, you know, fast forward through a bunch of stuff <laughs> and, and we are, lose a lot of like that detail that then they want you to have an emotional impact at the end, but we don't really get any any of that. I think, I do think that's a failing of the storytelling, but the premise I do think is interesting, but it's within that exploration and what it chooses to focus on. I think that's the ultimate problem that I come away with this movie is that very good ideas, but not really fulfilled in the most successful way, in my opinion. 
Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our Patreon throwback podcast review for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full-length review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.